0: Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Caspar. Inspired by the real life story of the South Korean director kidnapped in the 1970s to invigorate the North Korean film industry, Chuche Idea follows Yoon Jung Lee, a young video artist invited to work at the Chuche Art Residency on a North Korean collective farm. The story takes off from there. This is an incredible film in the sense of a, a satire, as a comedy, as a brilliant commentary on the world we live in in so many different ways. The film, again, is called The Chuche Idea, and we're joined today by the director of that film, and that would be Jim Finn. Jim, welcome to Film School Radio.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: One of the reasons that uh, I'm so happy that you were able to join me today is you have a number of films that are being um, streaming now on the Ovid.TV the streaming service. And this is one of them. Uh, there's others. The Annotated Field Guide of Ulysses S. Grant. Trinchera Luminoso del Presidente Gonzola. Did I even get close? Gonzalo,
1: closer? la, la trinchera pre- okay. <laughs> la <trichera> luminosa <laughs> del Presidente Gonzalo. Uh, in English, the shining trench of Chairman Gonzalo. who died this year, by the way. He just died. Uh, oh. Abimael Guzman, he was the leader of the shining path. He yeah. Died died in prison recently, a couple of okay. months and- ago.
0: Oh my gosh. And Intercosmos. These are all four of these films are being released through Ovid.tv, the streaming service. And incredible stuff. So well, first of all, uh, thank you for your work. Thank you for being here. And I do want to talk about the Chuche idea because I just saw it last night and uh what inspired it. I think I know from watching it, but what is what inspired you to do it in the way you did? It's kind of a bifurcated film in a sense but tell me what inspired it
1: yeah well i again i had read about how this kind of famous shin Sanok, who did i think he did the three ninjas or he directed a disney film actually in america after he got out uh but he made probably the greatest north korean film called pugasari which is the kind of godzilla uh as a metaphor for feudalism and capitalism it's an incredible weird film. It's like a you know Communist Godzilla film. He made that in North Korea, and you know he was kidnapped essentially, uh, but he was invited and then held against his will. Uh, the South Koreans at the time didn't really believe he was kidnapped; they believed that he was just wined and dined and kept there, because I think he actually had a pretty good life there. Uh, but he was against his will, as far as I can understand. Uh, but somehow he and his wife uh, they fooled them into uh, letting them escape when they were at a film festival or something. I'm not sure how it happened. Uh, but I had this idea of doing that for a video artist, which of course never no one would do that for a video artist, because video art doesn't have the same level of cultural, you know, importance and cachet that kind of mainstream film does. But I think that they should have done it. I think they should have kidnapped a video artist, and so I made up my own uh, video artist and uh, had her get kidnapped. And then, you know, the kind of core of the film is her getting interviewed by a Bulgarian documentarian who kind of finds her. And so, you know, she can't really say that it's bad. Oh, and then, you know, there's a couple things in it that I really loved is that she's made to clean out a chicken coop during her art residency. And of course, you know, I really like the idea of, of artists having to work on their residencies, like being forced to clean chicken shit really made, made me, not that I myself really want to clean chicken shit, but I like the idea that artists should have to do it. Like, those artists. <laughs> even though I'm one of them I don't know so those are all appealing to me and then you know of course just looking at the propaganda numbers and and, and then the fact that Kim Jong-il himself who's dead now when he was alive when I made the film uh was a cinephile. Uh, and um, so those were those were fascinating things to me. And throughout
0: the film we see the chuche ideals for filmmaking kind of you insert them right. in a very very clever way in which we see what I assume to be actual, north korean propaganda films and then yeah. alongside them are the kind of the tenets of what their what their right. philosophy is which is so funny and by the way just anecdotally didn't um he tried to kidnap a number of japanese uh actresses didn't, didn't he, he kidnapped
1: a lot of people over the years i don't remember how many i mean they would actually go and kidnap japanese fishermen and stuff women to because they, if they had japanese people they're there's just the a bizarre racist culture. Uh, North Korea, is like their ideology is bizarrely racist. They really don't believe that foreigners should mix with them. And so if they if they had like a Japanese defector, they would kidnap a Japanese woman so that he could mate with her. It was bizarre, the stuff they did in the 70s. But they were insane. You know, they're just like crazy dictators. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true.
0: But there's a fair amount of racism that goes both ways in this relationship, right? The Japanese... Sure and
1: sure on. yeah we way, it's some like, stuff. no <laughs> doubt yes yeah
0: but, but you know it, how long
1: do you how long do you have to keep paying for that i don't know you have to keep <laughs> in, indefinitely having your like shrimp fisherman kidnapped for like the crimes of your army this, the, in, in the 1930s i don't know maybe there might be other ways to do it you know money i don't know like <laughs> well, and i'm this- not sure
0: And this regime, as you described, uh, North Korea is just a a hot mess anyway. And there have been, and I I had to to think back on how many, they've only had three leaders since the establishment of North Korea, I believe in the 1940s. Uh, Kim Il-sung, Kim Jong-il, who is much of the subject of the film. And then we, of course, have The new and improved. This is a really a case of multiplicity, right? These guys, they just seem to get more and more characters of the the one before them. We now have Kim Jong-un. And um, although he's not in the film, he uh, he certainly looms large over North Korea now. But again, and also the actress that you got to play the part of the director was brilliant, by the way. And so was the Bulgarian interrogator. I mean, really, she was, she was really trying to fess her out, really trying to make sure that she was- She, uh,
1: there's a painting of her, there's a self-portrait of her in the in the film. And she had done that self-portrait in grad school. And she's like, you know, I have a portrait of myself. I was like, really? I was like, can you just like draw a red bandana? I just asked her to draw, if she could add to her painting, a red bandana for my film, which she agreed to do, which is so great.
0: Just these are just really this again. This is an understated part of the film. So much of this film is understated in a way that is it's hard to describe exactly because there's so much over the top material in the film, and then you have these two performances going on, kind of setting setting a kind of a subtext for what's happening otherwise. And I just thought they were both really, really great at what they did. Um, would you like to talk a little bit about the performances of the two actors?
1: Um, well, we went out to a farm. Uh, I had a friend who had an organic farm uh, who ran an organic farm. She'd known it, but she was kind of the manager of it. And, um, so they let us go there in the off season and, you know, just try to create this. Weird world uh, out there that that helped a lot, and then the other thing is that you know, if you have like art direction and you have like everything kind of clicking, it makes it a little bit easier. I don't know, I, I cast the right people, I think a hard part is casting that you know, if you cast the right people, you can get them to do the jobs. Um, I don't know, it was a lot of fun, that was a lot of fun to make that film. So, I mean, Oleg stole the show, the Russian, the bald Russian with the English lessons, he stole that whole movie. I mean. <laughs> That was like he's just comic gold, and he does not speak English. He already he, he may now, but he did not speak English. And so uh, there was a whole Bulgarian contingent there, and this other Bulgarian woman. I was living in Troy, New York, when I made the film, and this Bulgarian, his his wife, is Bulgarian, had transliterated the words into English, which is why he sounds kind of insane when he speaks English. That's he just he had tr- she wrote it out in Cyrillic, transliterating it, so he didn't really know what he was saying. It was so good. So that was quite a bad fun. And then and I, I fucked up. And then I also I fucked up the, I, the eye line later. I was like, oh, God, the eye line. You know, you gotta, when you do blue screen, you got to do eye lines, which I was, just forgot about. There's so many things to worry about. I was like, oh, man, the eye line. But oh, it, it didn't matter. On. It didn't so matter funny. at I know. all. I mean, in fact, I,
0: it was a happy mistake, really. It really yeah, I
1: know. That's the thing. It's like, you know, once you get the weird stuff in there, yeah. You know.
0: it, 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 his counterpoint in the film or this counterpart in that part of the film is also hilarious in its own in its own way the this there's so much straight man yeah he plays the straight man the straight man so well again i want to remind our listeners we're speaking with jim finn and the uh and the he's the director of numerous films and i the reason that i'm thrilled that he's with us today is we've got these four films that are coming out through Ovid.tv, the streaming service. Great service, by the way, to be a part of. Thank, congratulations. On well, being- I had
1: already, I had gotten a subscription to it because of this. Uh, Anwar Patwa, Anand, Anand Patwardhan, this Indian filmmaker who's amazing, makes these like really long and intense political documentaries about India. I've learned so much about Indian history from his films and I got the subscription to this and then these, they get, they wrote me. So I was very happy to be, very proud to be part of it.
0: Yeah, no, I, and I agree. I, yeah, the, And I had the, the president of Ovid on a couple of months ago and he was talking about that series of uh, documentary films, those Indian documentary films. So, And they have a tremendous catalog of really high-end documentary films on the service as well, so yeah. others. The one that uh, I will be watching after we're done here today is the Annotated Field Guide to, of Ulysses S. Grant. Tell me a little bit, tell our audience a little bit about uh, yeah, what, I, there.
1: I was working. I was working on a different film, different project, and uh, and I gotten a grant for a different project, was working on it, and I had to spend all the money in 2019, 2019, I had to spend all the money. And I was like halfway through the year, and I was like, I have like, you know, I think I had $7,000 or $8,000 to spend. And I was like, what am I, I don't have a clear idea. <laughs> and so I was like this Grant movie, those kind of came to me because I'd read a couple biographies of him and I'd read a biography of Sherman and I knew that there's this kind of revision that's happening where people are kind of going back and realizing that these dudes who were kind of flawed in their own way, maybe he's an alcoholic, maybe he was like, later was like not a great president or whatever, but they kind of did this key thing, which is that they prevented this white supremacist coup d'etat from happening. Uh, of course, the way that we understand the Civil War growing up, I grew up in the 70s, you know, I was born in 68. So I grew up in the 70s and in Missouri, no less, understanding it as like these kind of like the uptight US, you know, was like really uptight. And then these cool Southerners were kind of like rebels and they were like rebellion, you know, it was like. And you know, slavery was sort of awkward or whatever. But you know, people were—it was not it really about slavery. It was really about rebellion, you know, <laughs> sort of the way that I understood it. And um, actually, it was just insane white supremacists who were like, "Fuck you! How dare you? How dare you do anything? We need to not—I mean, because they were talking about expanding slavery. They were—they were like, we need to put slavery in Nebraska, and Kansas, everywhere." You know, you uptight Puritans don't want it, but everyone else should be able to have it. They're so crazy and arrogant. And so Grant, you know, frankly, he was, he, I don't, I think he is responsible for killing more white supremacists than anyone in history. Maybe Patton is the next one up (laughs) in Montgomery. I mean, you know, you're kind of like, that's not nothing, is it? You know, now, now that we're looking at this new situation, of course, I made this film before, in the height of the Trump years, but before the kind of January sixth rebellion that happened in the United States, and again, all these kinds of things like these failed rebellions, or whatever they they can get cleaned up afterwards. Yeah. But, you know, white supremacists demand everything, and it's kind of like fascists in general, and arrogant yeah. royalists, anybody like that who has like an incredible amount of power. They don't, they're not happy with just their incredible massive amount of power. They always want more because they're just insane. They don't think like normal people think. And so I love the fact I really want to follow this along. So I got a 16 millimeter camera and I followed this track of grants kind of plowing through and wrecking the Confederacy. Uh, and then for the music, I did a voiceover kind of explaining these small stories of what I saw happen there and looking, trying to illuminate some of the other stories and then i a lot of the energy i wanted was like 70s giallo italian kind of zombie films where you're just like kill the zombies oh my god the zombies are coming what are we gonna do we need some jams and some like japanese yakuza film gangster film like uh, kinji fukusaku uh, scores things like that i looked at for the energy of the film you know again just thinking like so if we, if you've been taught misinformation, then essentially you don't know what happened. You don't know. Um, and 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 again, I think like the Ken Burns documentary, which which kind of made everybody re love the Civil War, which is like a great documentary. Uh, it gives a lot. It has this fundamental flaw, which is that it's about the war between the brothers, and it has this guy who's basically uh, Shelby Foote, who's very charming, uh, but he's essentially you know, uh, kind of a unreconstructed white supremacist. Now, he, he would, you wouldn't know that if you just listened to him. But if you listen to some of his other opinions about Nathan Bedford Forrest, you're like, mm, he's got some fundamental awkward flaws, uh, even though he's a good writer and he sounds great when he talks. We, so there's nothing wrong with having him in your movie, but you can't, he's the centerpiece of that film, which is a real problem. So anyway, I thought there was some space to make this kind of weird film. I made it.
0: Yeah. You know, the thing about the Civil War, you know, I've had been a lot of documentaries lately about that era and about the ramifications of the Civil War. There's one coming out in a couple of weeks called Civil War. Actually, it's a, a couple of days, actually, Civil War. And what was pointed out to me in the course of our conversations with those filmmakers was slavery ended in the Civil War. But white supremacy flourished after the Civil War. It never died. It never <clears throat> it, it barely took a hit. Once you get past Reconstruction, it has white supremacy has flourished in that period of time. And the other thing that you just mentioned about the history of the Civil War as it's taught, and I've come to the realization, the conclusion that the history of the Civil War is taught to most Americans with this level of plausible deniability, right? We they explain the Civil War, but they don't actually give you the true implications of pre-Civil War and and rest of it, so that you and I, as educated people, can sit there and go, well, it was it was between brothers, and we can be comfortable with that. Not I'm saying you in particular, but we can be comfortable with with the actual dynamics of the Civil War, and still still feel like we're good Americans but in fact it was as you described it much more closely to what you described and what Grant's take on it was These well, there were people- was a
1: couple of there was a couple of things that were that came up one thing that they was really helped was that everywhere they went the uh, enslaved people um gave them information and basically what they found out is that white people would come and talk to them and they had sympathy they had sympathizers in the south at the beginning of the war but once they kind of invaded tennessee so to speak or liberated tennessee uh that sort of was done because the white people who were sympathetic shut the fuck up they stopped talking to them yeah, yeah. or they left or they just went over to the other side quietly uh so they could not trust anything white people told them <laughs> whereas basically everything black people told them was accurate and so they would constantly get this intelligence so they had this like incredible inc- intelligence about the land about the troop movements about all kinds of stuff and then you know then there are stories of of uh of black people fighting things like that so i include their Millikan's bend which is one of the first battles that african-americans were in so there's like details that i put in there to help decenter uh the narrative away and i think it's fun so it's pretty too. It's 16 millimeter. So yeah. I wanted I wanted like a kind of a 70s travelogue vibe.
0: And it looks like you use kind of a, a board game to also illustrate some of the
1: Yeah. So the board games are so many different like war games and board game that were made for the Civil War. Uh so and and I illustrated the battles and so I was like, how am I gonna illustrate these battles? i gonna talk about this, you know. And I really love this idea of the kind of like bringing it back to, again, this way that we've understood it, which is either this kind of like tactical strategic battle, the tactical, you know, little decisions, strategic big picture uh, decisions, or or this kind of idea of like the kind of games of it and, and our illustrations and, and, and memories of it. And so I use like tops cards from the 60s. Um, which were like these kind of gruesome, like blood and alligators chewing on people's legs in the swamps while they're getting shot and stuff. <laughs> There's a lot of great stuff. That, actually, those were made by the same guy that did the Mars Attacks. Um, okay. Okay. The illustrator of Mars Attacks. They brought him out of retirement for the Civil War series. What, really? Yeah. And and I thought that would be a fun way to illustrate it because it's rather than be like, you know, mostly I you know, I just I really I just want a documentary that just ignores what everybody else has said in a way, but plows ahead and lets you figure it out for yourself to a certain degree. Like so, instead of me being like, "Well, in 1960, they said this lie about Grant," you know, like I, don't, I, I know we all see. Well, maybe we haven't all seen Gone with the Wind anymore. I don't know who watched that movie anymore, but, you know, I grew up with it. And so, like, it's it's like a great movie, right? But there's a couple of fundamental flaws with film. <laughs> One of them is that the the Northerners were not just going around, like, abusing and raping and uh, all the white Southerners. You know, that was really not happening. It might have happened. Of course, it happened in this war to a certain degree. But for the most part, they were shooting the dogs and burning the plantations and uh, a lot of enslaved people were very happy about it. So, you know, this is like a key thing uh, that I wanted to kind of like think about in a, right. in a, different, in a different kind of way. You right. know?
0: Well, the power of cinema, I mean, Birth of a Nation. I mean, I, there've been a number of documentaries that I've seen of late where the impact that that film had, again, I mean, you know, at that time, the percentage of people in the United States who saw Birth of a Nation and the impact it had, all the rest of it moving forward, was was significant and anything that can, can disabuse us of this notion of the romanticized version of the South in the Civil War is a good thing as far as I'm concerned. And well, Jim Finn, thank you. I, I mean, thank you for for the Juche idea as I just, it's brilliant, it's brilliant. And by the way, your films, um, I wouldn't look them up on various sources and um, you are um, very well regarded if you if you don't thank mind you. me saying out loud all of your work has been embraced uh, and by people who, who who should know better or worse whatever
1: <laughs> who should know better <laughs> you should know better i love that guy i see what you're saying now mike i get what <laughs> uh, so thank you i i really
0: again i uh, go to ovid.tv check out these films the Chuche Idea, the Annotated Field Guide of Ulysses S. Grant. And I'm going to let you say the ones
1: more. The Intercosmos and the uh, La Trinchera Luminosa del Presidente Gonzalo. The Shining Trench of Chairman Gonzalo. I love that. Thanks so much, Mike. Appreciate it. <laughs>